0: Here's what I want to talk about today. Obviously, it's Easter, but we know that the resurrection of Jesus took place about 2,000 years ago. It's a historical event, and we're celebrating that today. But about eight or 10 days before Jesus rose from the dead, on that first Easter morning, he declared these words in the middle of a funeral service. This is what he said. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. I mean, what an outrageous claim. In some unique ways, he's telling us he is resurrection, and he's inviting us to experience resurrection life in him. Man, the world these days needs to hear this so much. And the message of resurrection is so relevant today and I'm so excited to jump into this story. Now, I want to tell you where Jesus said this and why he said it. It's kind of a pre-resurrection, resurrection story. Does that make sense? A pre-resurrection, resurrection story. We know the resurrection of Jesus took place, but about eight or 10 days earlier, there's another resurrection story. So I'm going to tell the story. I'm going to do something different today. I'm just going to walk through the story and, and have some highlighted commentary along the way. I figure this is our first live stream. Easter, and so why not try something different? Now, we're going to be getting this story from uh, someone named John. He was an eyewitness of Jesus. He was one of Jesus' disciples, and John tells us this story. In fact, if you want to read it later, it's found in John chapter 11. If you're familiar with the Bible, it's easy to find. If you're not familiar, Google John 11 or check it out on Bible Gateway and read it there for yourselves. But here's the story. It's about a guy whose name is Lazarus. Jesus gets news about his close friend, Lazarus, who's very sick. In fact, he's kind of like last breath of life type of sick. That's how sick he is. Jesus is close friends with the family, with his sisters, Martha and Mary, we get glimpses of it in the Gospels that he probably hung around their home and spent time with them, shared meals together, relaxed together, maybe after supper, maybe played first century Uno, who knows, or first century Monopoly, I got, I got no clue. But he knew them well, he was friends with them, and he gets this news. Now strangely, Jesus is, is optimistic. In fact, one of the things that Jesus says is that this sickness will not end in death. He's kind of certain about that in some way. And of course, this is probably why one of the reasons Martha reaches out to Jesus. I mean, yeah, he's a family friend, and maybe she's pulling a favor, but why? Because she knows Jesus, and she knows that Jesus heals people, or he has healed people. And she's probably seen this, and heard it, and seen the evidence. So she's reaching out through someone to get the news to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. Now, even though Jesus is really good friends, he takes like two days to decide if he's going to make the trip. He finally decides, and he's determined. In fact, he tells his disciples, look, I'm going to go there and wake Lazarus up. Now, intuitively or maybe divinely, Jesus, uh, you know, believes that Lazarus is dead. And he anticipates that something great is going to happen out of this tragedy, out of this desperate story that is going to spark belief in the people who are there, including Lazarus' sisters. But obviously, Jesus does leave late, and Jesus arrives, like, really late. Lazarus, in fact, has already been in the tomb for four days already. I mean, four days so Jesus is late. I, I, I don't know if I was in Jesus's shoes. I've, I'd really kind of feel like I'm behind the eight ball. Have you ever? I've had this recurring dream like all my life since I'm a teenager that I wake up and I'm late for everything all day, or I'm supposed to do a presentation and I have no clue and I'm not ready yet, or I'm supposed to get somewhere and I don't have the right clothes. You ever have that recurring dream when you're either really embarrassed or really late or not prepared? Well. That's kind of like really stressful. And I think if I was in Jesus' shoes, I would feel like that. I'd feel like behind the eight ball kind of late, like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm in a bad spot here. And to make matters worse, when Jesus arrives, he arrives in the middle of a moment where Mary and Martha are receiving guests. It's like a funeral procession. It's like the funeral visits are taking place from family and friends. And Martha finally gets to speak to Jesus face to face. And she's not happy. I mean, she's Lazarus' sister. She sent this news to Jesus. Jesus is late. She's not happy. In fact, this is what John tells us that Martha says. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I can imagine her saying this in a very kind of strong female type of voice. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I think she was upset. And I think that phrase she uses, if you would have, or if you had been here, I think we've all felt that in some way, shape, or form in our lives. Have you ever said that? If you had done X, Y wouldn't have happened. If you wouldn't have done X, Y wouldn't have happened. And maybe just for for fun, take out a piece of paper or just think about this visually and maybe fill in the blanks. Think about, a, a, think about your career or a relationship or your finances or, um, or something and, and fill in the blanks. If you had done blank, maybe this would have been different. If you would have taken that interview 10 years ago, maybe your career would have taken an, off in a different direction. If you would have saved that emergency fund or invested when the markets were lower, maybe your finances would have been different. If you wouldn't have, ha- have said that dumb thing to your spouse four weeks ago, dinner would have felt better tonight. You fill in the blanks. If you would have or wouldn't have, things would be different today. I don't know if you're familiar with the Back to the Future movie series. Growing up as a teenager was like my favorite movie series. Uh, Michael J. Fox plays in it. And, and the whole series is built on that if you would have done this, right? Marty McFly played by um, Michael J. Fox and, and his friend, the doctor. They go back and forth in time in a DeLorean time machine. Why? To fix things. Because... Life as they know it isn't that great. So Marty goes back in time and tries to make his dad be more confident to some guy named Biff. And, and so in 1955, Biff treats Marty's dad horribly. But Marty's dad, in, 19, in the new 1955, punches Biff. So in 1985, Biff no longer overrules him. And back and forth the stories go. Part one, part two, part three. If you would have done this, if you've changed this, we got to go back and change that. But here, here's the reality. I mean, since we can't time travel, at least I can't, these if-you-had moments really show us how little control we have. How little control we have. And it reveals our human errors. It reveals our blind spots. It reveals our frailty. It reveals our struggle. And here's Martha in that moment. She's having this if-you-had moment, and it reveals her anxiety, and it reveals how little control she's in. And sometimes our life feels like that. But look what happens to Martha. Jesus promises her that her brother will rise again. Now, that, that... To me and you, maybe that sounds kind of like outrageous, but Martha actually understands this because it was very normal for a Jew in that time period to believe that resurrection in the future is something that God promised his people, that life on earth wasn't all that life was about, and death was not the only stop. They believed that resurrection was part of God's plan for the future. But here's where Jesus throws this curveball. Here's where Jesus, you know, ups the game, declares who he really is, where he really shows us what he's capable of and what authority he really has. Because then he tells Martha these words. We read them already. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Like, Jesus doesn't just promise future resurrection, which Martha already understood and probably believed. Jesus doesn't just point to his own resurrection, which is going to happen in about 8 or 10 days from this scene. But Jesus declares that he is resurrection and he is life. In other words, he's saying that within himself... There's an ongoing, ever-present, available, authoritative resurrection power and life that exists within Jesus. That's his response to Martha. Now, we're going to come back to this conversation later, but I want to finish with the story because I told you I'd keep telling the story today. Martha and Mary are now together with Jesus. Jesus has arrived in their region. Family and friends have started to follow them to the tomb. And now we get to this real somber moment in this day. Mary is emotional and weeping. The friends and family members, John tells us, are also weeping and emotional. They're deeply grieved. And this moves Jesus. In fact, immediately Jesus says, get me to the tomb, get me to the tomb. And as they're getting to the tomb and people are breaking out in this emotional grief, John tells us that Jesus himself bursts into tears. In fact, one of the shortest verses in the Bible, Jesus wept. It's a famous verse. And I think it's famous for very good reason. Because it's one of the most revealing moments of Jesus' heart. And if you track with, you know, how we teach the scriptures here at Westside, we often say we read the scriptures backwards from Jesus. We, we look at Jesus, we discover who Jesus is, and then we look at all of Scripture and interpret the Scripture through the lens of who Jesus is. Because Jesus has come and fulfilled all of God's purposes, all of God's words, all of God's prophecies, all of God's intentions. And so it's a revealing moment in Jesus' heart. But because Jesus gives us the best reflection of who God is, it also gives us a glimpse into God's heart. See, he's burdened over the suffering of humanity. And Jesus here is burdened over the reality of this death and over reality of the pain it's causing and the kind of grieving that humans experience because death separates so abruptly. Ironically, this week was an interesting week for myself and particularly for my, my wife and her family and all of our family, all of our immediate and extended family. Um, just on Wednesday evening, after a couple of days um, that her dad was really wrestling towards really the end of his life, he's been sick for several years now and getting progressively worse, and this last week, starting Tuesday, he just started going downhill. On Wednesday evening... Uh, middle of the evening, um, he passed away. And we were in a moment on Wednesday afternoon. um, Franka's family, thankfully through technology, were able to talk with each other and share with each other. And uh, one of the siblings was able to be in the room and they were able to speak words of love and affirmation to their dad. And, And I was witnessing this. And my kids were witnessing this and i just realized in that moment how deeply grieved we become because we understand how death separates us abruptly it's just such a human thing to go through because there's nothing we can do and here in the middle of holy week leading up to good friday trying to anticipate resurrection this is happening right in my home, and right through technology with family. And it made me realize, and it made me think about this story again. If we ever wonder what God thinks about suffering, he bursts into tears over our suffering. He bursts into tears over our grieving. In the current reality that the world is facing, that we in Canada are facing through this COVID-19 virus and its spread, do you ever wonder what God feels about COVID-19? God weeps over COVID-19. He weeps when he sees people in China and Italy, in Spain and France and in America and in Canada in ICU units grasping for their lives. He's deeply moved by their pain. That's the heart of Jesus, that's the heart of God. You know, some have been asking lately, you know, what is God uh, thinking of this? Or some even ask, did God, you know, send this virus? You hear some radio preachers or TV preachers, you know, get on the news and say that God is judging a city or a state or a province of the world. And for sure, our world is messed up and our world is broken and our world is sinful. But the question is, did God send this virus? And I struggle to believe that God would send this virus. Now, I'm not saying that I don't see God as all-sovereign and all-knowing and wise in what he allows or doesn't allow or can interject in, but when we track with the story of Jesus and we recognize that Jesus gives us a picture of who God is and we see that when Jesus announced God's kingdom breaking into the world, something we don't see Jesus do is give sickness or give disease or give curses. No. Jesus grieves over our sin infected world and the multiple pain and suffering that takes place. But when he came announcing God's kingdom and he came communicating the vision of God's kingdom and the life of God's kingdom and, and he shows us the power of God's kingdom, what does he do when he shows us the power of God's kingdom? He heals, and he restores, and he comforts, and he frees, and he brings back to life. That shows us the heart of God. That shows us the heart of Jesus that grieves over the pain of our world, but also when he brings God's kingdom, he brings joy and peace and restoration. And for sure, when we detour away God's off of God's path, we will sometimes experience more suffering and more pain, and that sometimes is a realization for us. But the heart of Jesus, the heart of God's kingdom, is to confront the sickness and pain in our world. Now, I'm going to get back to the story. When Jesus arrives to the opening of this tomb, I mean, he wants the stone removed. He he requests that the stone be removed. Now Martha is, is, is nervous. Martha is worried that it's going to smell horribly because the body has been there for days. And the body has already started to decompose. And so the smell of a decomposed body is going to be full in that place. But Jesus is not stopped by the stench of death. Jesus is not stopped by the worry of decomposition. In fact, these are the words of Jesus when this happens and Mary is troubled. He says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And Then Jesus turns and pauses for a moment to pray and he like, talks directly to God the Father. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Hold that for a second, that they may believe that you sent me. I'm going to come back to that. Then Jesus, in a loud voice, calls into the tomb, and he calls Lazarus to come out of the tomb. And then this body starts walking out, wrapped in first century Palestinian linen. Lazarus walks out alive. Lazarus walks out alive. I mean, what a story. What a day in the life of Jesus. What an amazing moment that John, an eyewitness in the first century, captures of Jesus' life, of Jesus' impact, of Jesus' heart, of, the, of, of, of his identity. And I want us to just kind of wrap this up in a couple of moments, and I want to say this. The resurrection that happened that day, Lazarus' resurrection, was a sign. In fact, it was one of the last signs that John records And one of Jesus' most incredible signs where he demonstrates who he is and the power of God's kingdom. This resurrection that day, Lazarus' resurrection was a sign and it points us to the power of Easter. It points us to what would eventually take place days later when Jesus is in a tomb, and when Jesus is buried, and when Jesus rises from the grave, Lazarus' resurrection that day points, it's a sign to what would come on Easter, what would come on Resurrection Day that we now celebrate. And, and before I wrap up with, with just a, a real heartfelt moment here, I, I want to just help us understand this. Jesus did at least three things on that day that he rose Lazarus from the dead. One, he points to his own resurrection. I mean, that was a sign, and he pointed to his own resurrection where he would defeat death. Secondly, he confirms what Martha already knew, but maybe that we don't realize, is that God's future resurrection is promised for everyone who believes, for everyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus, that future future resurrection is still a promise to those in Christ. And then the third thing that Jesus is doing with this sign, he's telling us that his own life and his own power are not restricted to a past resurrection, which we're celebrating today, the resurrection of Jesus 2,000 years ago. Christ's life and power is not restricted to that past resurrection, and it's not restricted to the future resurrection that God promises us. But his life and power are available right now, today, in the present for you, and for me. See, we begin to understand that Easter is not just about Jesus' resurrection, but it's about Jesus himself, the one who resurrected, the one who made the claim, I am the resurrection and the life. And who who do you believe? You believe the guy who rose from the dead. It's not just about that about the resurrection, it's about Jesus himself. See, he didn't just rise from the dead. He is resurrection and life. Now think about that day in Lazarus's and Martha's and Mary's life. Jesus confronts death with resurrection. Jesus confronts their present pain with God's promised future. That all the life and goodness in God's future that one day the scriptures describe as the new creation, the new heaven, the new earth, where there will be no tear, there will be no crying or no pain. All the goodness and life in God's future is brought into this moment. Jesus brings that future into the present. And they see it that day. They see it that day with such reality and power. And he met their problem with the power of God's future. And just like Jesus bursts into Martha and Lazarus' life, he can burst into your life and into my life. And just like he bursts into their pain and into their suffering, he can burst into your pain and into your suffering. He can burst into the pain and suffering of our world. Now, I don't want to overpromise anything because this does not promise that God will always heal or God will resurrect someone from the grave tomorrow or that God will answer all your prayers or lift you out of whatever problem you're in. But here's what this does promise, that he will enter your life. He will enter your heart. He can enter your decisions and lead you and guide you. See, when you trust him, he will make you wake up. He will make you come alive to a new kind of living, to a new kind of reality, to a new kind of possibility, to a new kind of hope. And that's bigger than a healing. That's bigger than a problem solved. That's bigger than provision. Because it changes your life now, and it changes your life into eternity. In fact this is what jesus said right he tells martha the one who believes in me will live even though they die the one who believes in me will live backtrack in the gospel of john chapter seven jesus says whoever believes in me streams of living water will flow from them that's the kind of new kind of qualitative life jesus wants to breathe in us when we believe in him we begin to experience a kind of life that flows from his life. And because that is true, death no longer has a hold in eternity. Death is not the final stop for those who believe. Death is only a step into a continued life that starts today when we trust Jesus, a life that's beyond the grave. See, when someone believes in Jesus, they start a new life From a new source, which is an eternal kind of life. One author, Scott Saul, says it like this. He says, If your hope is anchored in Jesus, the worst case future scenario for you is resurrection and everlasting life. Isn't that awesome? If your hope is anchored in Jesus, the worst case future scenario for you is resurrection and and everlasting life. That's the promise. But I want you to just catch something here because what he tells Mary is significant, right? He says, the one who believes in me will live. That word, that little phrase, will live, could also be interpreted, you will come alive. When you, The one who believes in me will come alive. or you, Even a better way to say it is, the one who believes in me will be woken up. Will be woken up. So that means that we will be woken up. That means that even today, in our everyday life, Even today, in our everyday life, in our ordinary life, Jesus can lead us and empower us and rescue us and forgive us and guide us and pour his wisdom into us. Because when we believe in him, we wake up to a different kind of life, a new kind of life. That's the promise of Easter. That's the promise of resurrection. And Jesus is able to fulfill that promise because he said, I am the resurrection, and the life. Early Christians have experienced this, Said everyone who is in Christ is a new creature. The Apostle Paul said this to one of the early churches. Everyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Something is woken up in us when we put our faith in Jesus. The early church, they experienced that. I've experienced that. Many of you listening have experienced that. You know that there is something qualitatively different about your life today because you have put your faith in Jesus and you've trusted him. The Apostle Paul said the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. He was speaking to believers, to Christ followers. Man, what a beautiful promise. And here's my call today. I mean, many of you are listening that have experienced what I'm talking about, but maybe you haven't experienced the, the fullness of it, and you're longing for more of that, and as we grow in Christ, we can come to grow into the fullness of this life that God offers us in Christ. But many of you that are listening today, you know, if you've experienced this, and, and, and you're just sitting back and saying, I'm grateful. Easter is a day where you're grateful because you know this is true. This was true for myself this week when my father-in-law was passing away and we were sitting together with my family and just on, on a merged call and, and on a screen and, and, and this moment was taking place, but we were able to pray because my father-in-law has put his faith in Christ and, and we were able to pray for him that he would truly experience this peaceful transition into being rest, to rest in God's presence. But it wasn't just that. There was something about how we were grieving, even though we were grieving, that was just different. There was something that was in us and with us, which was the presence of God. Because I was woken up to this new life in Jesus. The Scripture says we grieve with a different, kind, with a different grieving. We grieve with hope. It's not a hopeless grieving. It's a hopeful grieving. And even this week, in the middle of this tragedy, there was something different that was happening, something that was part of this new life that God has given us because we've put our trust in Jesus. Many of you know what I'm talking about. But some of you listening today are listening to me and and you have a deep longing in your heart for this. You have a deep longing to understand this and to grow in this and to maybe step into this and to experience this. So I want to ask you today as we close what Jesus asked Martha. Jesus simply asked Martha, Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that if you put your trust in me, you will come alive and be woken up? Do you believe this, that by living uh, and because of this belief in me, you will come to know this new life? And that's my question to you. Do you believe this? And I want to invite you right now Right wherever you are, whether you're watching this on your phone, in your living room, in your kitchen, in your bedroom, I want to invite you right now to make this, consider this decision to believe. To believe in Jesus means to, to put your trust in him, to trust him, to, to, to choose to respond when he invites you to follow him. That was his first question to disciples, will you follow me? To believe in him is to trust him, is to follow him, is to learn from him, is to receive from him. Martha responded. She said, I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, God's son, the one whom God sent into the world. It's it's a verbal and mental and and emotional, all fit in response to saying, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. And I want to invite you to consider that decision today. Because this is, this is something that's true. And this will probably come up on the screen or we'll put it in the comment section. When you believe in him, you start living in him. It's when you believe in him, you start living in him. When you believe in him, you come alive. You're woken up. Now, I don't often do this at the end of a gathering and I've never done it on a screen. But I want to lead you through that. Because maybe you're here today, maybe you're listening and, and, and there's something in you and you're being prompted in your heart. There's something stirring in you where you're recognizing you're missing something, where you're recognizing that you long for something that you don't have, this invitation, this offer of Jesus, missing this kind of life Jesus offers you, present and future. But today, maybe you're seeing Jesus more clearly. Today, as we've talked, as we've unpacked this story, as we've celebrated resurrection, maybe there's something in you that says, I think I see Jesus more clearly today. I'm understanding him a little bit more. And my invitation to you is to respond to that. To say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, God's purpose, God's son, the one he sent into the world. And now, post his resurrection, we can say the one who died the one who was buried, the one who rose to life, the one who ascended into God's presence. And so I want to invite you to pray that with me today. I want you to invite you to consider that with me. So we're going to take a moment. We're going to pray. And simply, just with some of the words I described this with, if this is where your heart is at today, I want to invite you to respond this way. You can simply talk to God like you talk to a friend Dear God, I am recognizing my deficiency without you, my lack of true life without you. I'm recognizing my brokenness. I'm recognizing my sin, and I confess that I recognize that I need you and want you to lead me. God, I put my trust in you. I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe that you sent him into the world. I believe that he died and was buried and rose again. I believe he is resurrection and life. God, as I put my belief in you, I trust you to give me new life and life to the fullest and life eternal. God, as some uh, who have just been following today have made this step i pray lord that you would encourage them and help them to discover you in such a fresh way at the beginning of this journey god i thank you that we can celebrate resurrection today that we can celebrate jesus we're not just celebrating an event we're so grateful for the event we're so grateful that the resurrection of jesus is really the hinge of our faith it's amazing the fulfillment of your purposes, the climax of your story, the promise for our future. But God, we celebrate Jesus because he is resurrection and he is life. And we thank you for that. And we revel in the glimpses of new life that we experience today. God, we pray this. And we pray this for the world around us, how the world needs resurrection, how the world needs, needs to come alive how the world needs to recognize god that they need you and that you long to give them life lord may the world around us recognize that you're a god who who bursts into tears because of the pain and brokenness in our world but you're also the god who comes and confronts our present pain and our brokenness with your promised future You give us glimpses of it even today as we trust Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.